You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. a garden it's not it's a train station really one flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor now before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet take a closer look Good, what's good? It's Bobby Manny here, staff writer over at Celtics Blog. And this is the official podcast of CelticsBlog.com. This is the Banners broadcast coming to you every single week. About to start ramping it up into winter vacation. Today we got a very special episode for you. And it features a special guest from the Celtics community. With us today is Joed Halapoda. And he is here to tell us all about cooking for professional athletes. You haven't heard about that one yet, guys. And in particular, we're going to hear about Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, two athletes who he fuels, as well as his career coming up in the field. We're also going to talk to Greg Casoli today because Kyrie Irving is on fire. He is just proving every doubter wrong, me included. So we're going to get into what's made his season key and who's the MVP of this team. I think me and Greg agree on this one. Let's get into it. And here he is, our special guest today. For the first time ever on one of my podcasts, we got a chef. It's long overdue. His name is Joed Halapoda, and he's with us here today on the Banners broadcast. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you, Bobby. How you doing? Not too bad. So you're you're coming to us from uh, Brooklyn? Yeah, man. Just moved from Brooklyn right before preseason. So, yeah, but I'm uh, originally from upstate New York. I want to get an idea of your start in cooking. What were some of the inspirational places and people that got you into the field? I have a pretty diverse background. One side of my family is from the Deep South. The other side of my family is from Pakistan. So I grew up with a pretty diverse uh, food upbringing. So I had a lot of different flavors in my life growing up. and It kind of made me fall in love with food. And then I went to college at St. John's in New York and definitely was really into the New York food scene. So after that, graduated St. John's Hospitality Management and Business and uh, was kind of unhappy until I was like, you know, I'm just going to go to culinary school, 
went to culinary school and I uh, was just really in the New York food scene, worked for Mission Start Chef and all that. And uh, it was uh, it was really inspirational. But uh, going back to like places in Queens, was, Queens is a really diverse food scene. So it was just like you could try something new every day. And that was just really new to me and really interesting to me. Um, being from upstate New York. So just all that was really inspiring, and I was just always really into food. So so I know you've traveled around the world as well, trying out different foods, and you do have that uh, college con- culinary school background. How important was you know the travel, your family, and college in particular? Like, How would you rank those three among what was most important for you becoming as good as you have at uh, cooking? Ranking? Not sure. Yeah. But... Uh, I could say, in order, the inspiration was definitely uh, family, then college, then travel, and I feel like they all led into each other. Mm-hmm. My family pushed me to pursue my education uh, seriously, and then in college is when I discovered like, oh, travel is important, especially in the food world. So I guess I would go family, college, travel, but they're all equally important, honestly, mm-hmm. as a, in the formation of your palate or just passion for food. And what would you say is the key to getting to a high level in this field, especially for you? I mean, I was able to find you, so you have gotten up to a high enough level in this field where you at least uh, get some notoriety. What do you think was really the key experience for you to you know, get to a professional level? Definitely uh, building a foundation in any, in any field, really. I feel like you can't really hop to the top immediately. Uh, and be ready for that position. I'm not saying I'm anywhere near the top of my profession at all. I'm not. But um, I appreciate you pointing out that I've been able to do some things in my career. And I feel like the foundation, like going to culinary school, taking that seriously, then moving on to working under a Michelin-starred chef, um, Bill Telpan, taking that seriously, putting in uh, the time there, all that, making connections in that world mm-hmm. while also using connections from St. John's. Uh, like, for instance, my first job with Kevin Serafin was uh, hooked up by a girl who was in law school. I wouldn't have known her if I didn't go to St. John's and just went to culinary school. Mm-hmm. But I also wouldn't have been ready for that position if I didn't go to culinary school and work for the Mission Star Chef after St. John's. So it was like they work hand in hand. Was Serafin the first athlete you ever worked with? Serafin was the first athlete I ever worked with, yes. Were you nervous for that at all? What was that experience like working with you know someone who does have a high stake in their diet for the first time? Sure, for sure. I wasn't necessarily too nervous. They had had the onboarding process be fairly casual, you know. Um, and then I got you know was told I could interview for the position. I met up with Kevin and his trainer Sebastian at the time, and uh, just you know basically gave them my spiel, uh, which was. I once weighed about 400 pounds and got down to about 270 just through eating correctly, not really like running marathons or anything like that, working out, being active, definitely. But I lost a lot of weight through just changing my diet correctly. And uh, that, that kind of sold them right away. And then just being able to use the sourcing in New York and you know, all the training I had in New York, it really wasn't too, I really wasn't that nervous about working yeah. with Sarah. I'm not going to lie. I was, I'll put it like this. I was nervous going into the interview because I really wanted the position. Yeah. Working with Seraphin wasn't too nerve wracking. What is that balance between 
good cooking and good nutrition because those are two very different things, of course. You can have a great meal that isn't very good for you, but energizing, fueling an athlete is a much different game. What's the balance between those two things as a chef? I'd say keeping your meals colorful, being op- being open to uh, eating vegetables helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you can really, if, if you if you learn to appreciate vegetables or just appreciate vegetables to begin with, it can really enhance your meals because the meal isn't focused just around, all right, I'm having steak tonight or I'm having chicken tonight or I'm having shrimp or, uh, you know, mahi-mahi, salmon, whatever. It's like it just opens it up to so many things because now you're like, oh, I'm having steak and asparagus. Oh, I'm having steak and potatoes, um, you know, and all these things. But also to kind of help make healthier food more interesting is taking the time to uh, learn, like, different substitutions, like coconut oil for butter, mm-hmm. reducing a stock rather than adding, um, you know, flour or a roux or something like that to make it heavier. And if you take those steps... You can you can make healthy food, you know, taste really good. When it comes to athletes, you've worked with Seraphin, uh, Deron Harmon, several others. Is everyone different? What are the real keys to fueling an athlete, or is it a case by case basis really, depending on the sport or depending on who the athlete is? Yeah, uh, all that. It's definitely case by case depending on the sport and depending on the athlete. So with Duran, Duran's you know Duran's a personal friend. I've known him since college. Me, his his wife Christine went to St. John's. Mm-hmm. We were in classes at St. John's together. So I've known them for a really long time. Um, anytime I cook for them, it's really more a special occasion. We're not worrying about nutrition, yeah, dietary things, or all that. But I'm also definitely not. I'm definitely you know sourcing optimal ingredients for them. But, yeah, with Seraphin, Seraphin wanted to uh, drop a couple pounds, which is why I brought up the weight loss with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously with, you know, Marcus, Marcus is in great shape right now. The chef he had over the summer did a great job, and I'm just trying to maintain that in Boston. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's definitely case-to-case, athlete-to-athlete. Let's get into those Celtics guys. That's why we're here today. Uh, Jalen Brown, you've been working with him. Marcus Smart as well. What's it been like? Um, between those guys, who what put you on to them? I know it was personal connections with some of the other guys. What put these two on to you? Uh, so with Marcus, it was actually his agent was uh, looking for a chef in Boston and saw a photo of me with Duran, Devin McCourty, LeGarrette Blunt, and Martellus Bennett. He reached out to me thinking I was already based in Boston, and we just you know got to talking. I let him know I've been to Paris for work, L.A. for work. So, you know, coming to Boston would be, uh, you know, it'd be an ideal move, an easy move. And we just got to talking from there. I uh, met with Marcus a couple times to uh, cook for them. They, you know, I believe appreciated uh, what I was doing in the kitchen. And uh, we uh, just went from there. And then um, with Jalen, uh, being in contact with the Celtics nutrition team, all that, they knew that Jalen, he's, he's into vegetables. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know. It's good. It's good working with Jalen. Jalen eats a lot of vegetables, and uh, that, that's you can see from my Instagram stories. Yeah, so. for sure. <laughs> How, how's Marcus on the vegetables? <laughs> Marcus eats because he knows he's he's good. He's yeah. good. This is good. Marcus is uh, very disciplined. Marcus is he's, he's great to work with for sure. I think it's very interesting bringing him up with the nutrition because, like you said, dropped a lot of weight through the summer, thirty pounds. I, we've all heard about that very well. 
What, what was the key to that? I hear a lot, you know, there's a diet aspect to losing weight. There's also an athletic aspect to losing weight. You lost your weight, as you said before, just, you know, strictly focusing on the eating. What's the key to dropping pounds effectively? I'm saying definitely the eating, but, you know, in Marcus's case, Marcus is just, you can see him on the court. He's a ridiculously hard worker. Mm-hmm. This guy, you know, is what he does. So I feel like he knew going into this season what he want, you know, what his goals were with his body. And he met them and my, you know, maybe he even exceeded them. I didn't, I didn't know Marcus going to the summer, Yeah. but from the looks of it, he definitely met and exceeded his goals. And he's, like I said, he's doing a great job keeping the weight off and still, uh, I believe enjoying what he eats. So with you, you said it's just been maintaining with him in that aspect. Does it just come down to following that plan that you took to get the weight off to maintaining the weight and keeping it off? Uh, it's yeah, and also it's really just making sure you're eating good, wholesome, whole like home cooked meals. Yeah, I'm not sure if you've watched uh, like What the Health or anything like that, but what they talk about really is just you know being smart with your sourcing uh, and trying to you know get plants stuff that grew from the ground. You know, eating that, eating plants. And uh, Marcus loves fruit, eats a lot of fruit. Mm-hmm. So Marcus is, you know, he's great to work with, like I said. When it comes to both of them and your relationship with them, what's the schedule like? Do you send them a set amount of meals or do you meet with them on a regular basis? What's the relationship like between a chef and an athlete? I Yeah, I, I meet with them on a regular basis. I, I cook for Marcus twice a day when the Celtics are in town. I cook for Jalen once a day while Celtics are in town. And it's, uh, you know, it's great. It keeps me busy. But uh, it's good. It's, it's why I'm in Boston. And like I said, Marcus and Jalen are great to work with. They're uh, two of the most successful athletes I've, you know, worked with and been associated with. So that's great. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, they're, they're winning. Celtics are winning. The mm-hmm. Patriots are winning. It's good. Duran's a captain this year. Things, things are looking good for uh, – some of the guys that I, I, I'm fortunate enough to cook for. So what are your ambitions in cooking personally? I know athletic uh, nutrition has become a part of it, but did you have any goals coming in, and how are you working toward those goals? Yeah, definitely have some goals coming in. For instance, one of my next goals I'm uh, currently working on right now is I want to build a network on both sides with athletes and chefs and connect those worlds. Mm-hmm. I want to give more people the opportunities that I have right now. Uh, I feel like that could be a, a two-edged value-adding sword. So that's uh, that's kind of my next goal in, um, say, food and business. My goals, I feel like I'm, I'm living them right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I'm surrounded by winning pro athletes. It's great working with them. So, yeah, now it's, I want to, you know, try to provide others with those opportunities as well. Personal level, what are your favorite foods to work with? And what, do you, what would you say is the best dish you're able to make? Favorite foods to work with? I like working with all types of foods. I can't <laughs> lie. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's nice when I don't have too many restrictions. That's always great. Any, anyone who cooks can tell you that. But something that I feel like I cook really well that's really simple is uh, – Beef short ribs, braised beef short ribs. Um, really simple to make, but also really simple to uh, mess up. Mm-hmm. And um, from several clients, I can tell they like, they enjoy the short ribs. And not everyone has had them the way, you know, the traditional like French way. So it's, it's nice. I, I'd have to go with uh, beef short ribs. 
bone in or bone out. I've heard red meat's not the best for you. Is that fact or fiction? It's not the best for you. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the best for you. There it's, we it's Another thing that's not the best for you is pizza, but that's one of my personal favorites. What's the key to a good pizza, in your opinion? It's a good dough, good crust, which uh, I guess goes back to the water you use in the dough. Um, you know, as a New Yorker, that's one thing we, we boast about is uh, the water we use in our dough and our bagels and pizza, mm-hmm. which makes them uh, what we believe to be superior. Uh, but that being said, Boston is like one of the only cities in America that's comparable softness of water to new york there we go that's what i'm talking about if if you have any suggestions for me for pizza in boston let me know have you hit regina i've not i've not had there you go you gotta hit that right near right near the garden is the original location one of the best they got in the city i hope you'll agree all right we'll find out (laughs) I'll i'll have to email you and let you know all right for sure the last question i got for you is uh social media of course that's where i found you can find him on Instagram at ja underscore wed underscore chef. What's been the power of that for you, outreaching to people? You have over 900 followers. You're always posting there on a regular basis. Is that a outlet uh, you're really trying to key in on to expand your reach? I like social media. Uh, like I said, you know, that's where Marcus's agent originally saw me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely, you know, use the Instagram stories for sure. But the power of social media is good because. Yeah, it's important to have a lot of followers, but it's really, my opinion, where I've been successful is, you know, like I said, like you said, you know, I have 900, but that's less than 1,000. There are people who have, you know, a lot more than that. Yeah. But, uh, (laughs) you know, but um, having the right followers. uh, For sure. That's one thing that I've been able to be, I'm fortunate enough to uh, have been able to try to accumulate the right followers, which has helped a lot. And uh, I'd say that that's that to me that's the best power of social media that I've ever used. Having the right followers, which kind of accumulate more of the right followers. So, you know, I may not have thousands, but it's all right. It's all right. Yeah, it's all good. It's all it can only go up from there for sure. Yeah, sure, sure. All right, thanks a lot, Jawed. We appreciate your time today, giving us some insight on this field. A lot of us haven't heard a lot about, so I think we're all a little more knowledgeable for that. We'll be right back with uh, Greg Casoli to talk some Celtics on the other side. Have a good one, Jawed. Appreciate you, Bobby. Thanks for uh, finding what I do interesting. Appreciate you. All right, guys. Fantasy basketball killing you this year. ESPN, Fox, any of those other leagues you can do out there, they all make you go the full season. It sucks. I got Paul Millsap in my ESPN league, and that is just already nailing my team that isn't doing so hot. We got a few bucks on that league, and those bucks are probably going away because in those season-long fantasy leagues, you just if your player gets injured, you're screwed. There's nothing you can do about it. So basketball season's in full swing. Didn't get into that full season league. Try this out. It's time for you to put your fantasy knowledge to the test to win huge cash prizes every night. You guys know all about Daily Fantasy. DraftKings does it the best. I've been working with them, playing their games for about a couple of weeks now, and it is just a great experience because there's so many ways to play. You can do public contests. You can go for the huge cash prizes. You can even do the private contests. Just compete against your friends like we like to do around here. 
They've got beginner casual contests. I mean, no matter what level you're at, you're going to be comfortable using DraftKings. And the best part is you get to draft a new team every day. Forget injuries. The only thing better than that is winning cash while doing it. And you're going to do that at DraftKings as well. Just ask Dan from St. Louis or Jeremy from Austin. Both those dudes turned $3 entry into $1,000. Use code CLNS, CLNS at DraftKings.com to play free with your first deposit for your share of $10,000. $10,000 in total prizes tonight. Don't wait. Use code CLNS at DraftKings.com now to choose your lineup. You can seriously just win cash tonight. That's code CLNS, only at DraftKings.com. The game inside the game. Let me know how you do. I want to get a little piece of that action, if you know what I mean. Give me half. Anyway, minimum $5 deposit required for your play. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Why not? Go try your first game free over at DraftKings on us, CLNS. Back to the show. Here's Greg Casoli. How's it going, Bobby? Glad to be on. Hey, welcome back. So let's just do some random observations about the team at this point. It's been a weird, weird team this year, but they're good. They just keep on winning after last night. Another win over the Dallas Mavericks. Another hard-earned win over you know, shaky Mavericks team. So that's just been the journey they've been walking on this year edging out bad teams again and again their record against bad teams is really good they have a few marquee wins the Warriors in particular so this season how are you feeling about it at this point Greg I mean I think you have to feel good given how many wins they have I feel I do feel like there's a little bit of possibly fool's gold here the Celtics ability to sort of play up or down to the level of their competition has been kind of astonishing um and they're certainly not blowing any teams out which is i guess the nature when you're winning with your defense first but it's been there's been so many close games and i feel like i mean they could easily have five or six more losses than they do right now if a couple of shots went in or did not go in but at the end of the day they're playing without their huge free agent signing they've been dealing with injuries to a lot of their key players and they've only lost four times um and they have the best record in the nba so Feeling pretty good. I'm feeling good, too. And I've been listening to Brad Stevens all year talk about the issues that have gone through their schedule, through this 22-4 and record they're sitting on. And I believe him. I've been listening to him say these things all year long about uh, how they're not playing as good as their record shows, which I think is good for us because they just keep winning and winning and winning, and it's hard to like nitpick little things. But... There are a lot of things you could highlight on this team that could be better right now. The bench, certainly. Marcus Smart's a guy I look at and say he's just having a weird, weird season. And we saw it again last night. And I think last night's like a good target point of how this season has gone. They, of course, played without Jalen Brown, without Marcus Morris. And so they ended up spilling the bench out there for long stretches, too. So it's hard to take last night at face value, certainly. But... Even when the starters were out there, even when Marcus Smart was out there, it's just these weird stretches where they go off. And I guess that's the mark of a great team, and they're shown to be a great team, and they bounce back by the end of these games. But there was a weird stretch for Smart in the middle of the game last night where he got bumped a little bit coming around the screen and traveled. Still those stretches where he takes these wild, wild shots that aren't necessary. 
I mean, late in the shot clock they are, but nowhere else are they necessary that he just seems to fall back on often. And, you know, some people love Smart. Some people hate Smart. I'm kind of right down the middle. I look at him sometimes and say, what's going on with this guy? But then by the end of the night, he turns into a plus four. And that, that's been the story of the season, story of Smart. And is, I guess it shows how important Smart is to the team that they go in the waves that he kind of goes on. This guy's just so hard to read as a player. Yeah, I've actually been, this season in particular, been kind of attempting to reevaluate the way I look at him just because his shooting is so terrible, clearly terrible, um, but he does so much else right. And I've been trying as best I can to sort of look at him the way I do, uh, like a player like Draymond Green, who, and obviously it's a little different because Green, being a a bigger player, can do a little bit more defensively, but they're both so, so talented on that end. And when I watch Green play, I, I don't even care when he shoots. It's like whatever happens, happens. You're doing enough positive everywhere else very clearly. That I don't, I don't get upset when he, you know, shoots 30% from three. I don't know what he's shooting this year, but traditionally he's been not great from there, but he doesn't mind firing away. Um, and I'm trying to kind of apply that same lens to Smart, even though they play different roles on defense, but they're both so impactful on that end of the court. But it's been hard because when Smart goes, you know, 0 of 6 from three, it really sticks out to you. Um, so it's really a been a process of sort of training my mind to interpret those numbers differently for him as compared to the rest of the roster. It's hard to point. I mean, it's just, it just goes to show how hard of a sport this is to really just break down and call out individual impacts on the floor because sometimes a guy's impact go beyond what they're showing on the stat sheet, Al Horford in particular, who I think is a more refined, skilled, polished version of Marcus Smart in a way, taller, of course, too. And you look at that guy, and so many people criticize him. So many people are on him for not filling up the score sheet and stuff like that. But you got to just take him for what he's worth. Appreciate the different areas of the game he touches. And understand that it's just so crucial this team's winning. And Brad Stevens talks about it all the time. And it's even hard for me to understand, as a guy who likes smart, just how impactful he is on the game. But there's these moments, and last night I look at that moment in particular where he finally got one of those just mid-range looks to go, going into the fourth, and he was 0 for 3 for so long last night. And that little shot just got them going, and you hate to like overemphasize those little moments because there's just so many moments in a game that change a game. But it seems like him in particular just highlights one spot where he finally breaks free from his struggles, and completely turns the tie of the game because of these little things he does. And they do just seem to add up by the end of the game because how else would a guy who's shooting so poorly, making so many mistakes throughout the stretch of a game, end in a positive? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really it's fascinating. And all the numbers suggest that he is a positive. Um, so it's kind of hard to argue against that. Now, my question, and I've been asking this question so many times all year, is in the end we appreciate this thing for what he's done on this rookie contract. But I think the harder question is, what do you judge this as money-wise going into next year? I think he's just such a fascinating free agent option because it's really hard to put in money terms the kind of things he does. And I think the Celtics are just secretly hoping on the inside that that's a conundrum other teams will face as well and not throw as much money at him. Yeah, I have no idea how to handle that situation. I mean, the sort of fan in me says, you know, it's not my money. I don't care. Pay the man. And I'd love to see him stay on the team. I think he could. He brings a lot to the Celtics roster. But at the same time, if you're sort of looking at it from the front office's perspective, they're 
a real benefit to keeping him in so far as they're not going to be at, able to add anyone really through free agency. Um, but if you're looking at Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, Terry Rozier even, there's a lot of other young players that aren't too far away from getting that sort of next big contract. Um, and I think you have to think really hard about how much you can commit to smart and what that might mean for committing to other players down the road, particularly since you're also hopefully keeping Kyrie uh, and then you have the big contracts for Horford and Hayward on the books already. It's starting to seem silly that I've been harping on the Kyrie Irving trade and others have been harping on this trade now because Irving's just showing to be so good for this team and such a revelation for them. And I, I don't know what – there's so many things he brings to the squad that we're seeing play out at this point. My favorite thing in particular is just how, like, no amount of bad defense can stop him. Like, every single time you throw bad defense, bad teams at him, he just goes to town. Last night, again, just destroying Yogi Ferrell in the post, knowing exactly where to go against a guy like that who doesn't have the physical capabilities to stop him. Spinning around him in the post, really isolating that matchup. I just love the consistency factor Irving brings to this team. And Smart is sort of on the other end of that spectrum where, you know, throughout the game he kind of goes in and out and then by the end he finds it. Irving's that like that in a similar way where you really see the best of him at the end of these games where he's keying in and locking in and getting aggressive. But he just makes consistent plays throughout the stretch of these games. And it's it's just really hard for me at this point to complain about the trade because... He just seems to fit in so well with this team, doesn't he? Even as a superstar, you're going to take any superstar you can get, but he just seems to really enjoy playing in this system. Yeah, I mean, he's looked great. He's His shooting numbers are coming back up. Obviously, they were a little low to start the year. Um, and his, his sort of full stat line is technically a little below what his career average has really been. But um, I think the fact that he's working harder on defense, he's making more of an effort there, really makes up for, you know, the two or three points per game that he's not adding uh, that he may have gotten in Cleveland. When it's time to, to win the game, he's really showed up uh, and been sort of a better player, a better version of Kyrie Irving than we've ever seen before. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to like there. And I've really been, I've been fascinated by the way the offense has worked. It's been a little, it's, I thought he was going to play basically the exact same role as Isaiah Thomas, but I think he's really deferred a little bit more throughout the course of the game um, than even IT did at times. Yeah, for sure. And they both had those spikes in the fourth quarter, but it's in different ways. That you definitely see Irving get into this flow more. And I'm not saying he's a better fit for this team than Thomas or vice versa, because I both feel like they're so good and they're so hard to compare. But there's more of a flow to Irving's game in the late going, and there's no turnovers in the last five minutes when these games are close, which is astonishing as these minutes start to pile up. I just look at him and say, you know, he has the skills, the unworldly skills we've ever seen to just get the best shot, no matter whether it's him, whether it's someone else down the stretch of these games. He just finds that spot on the floor where the best shot is, and that just has to make Brad Stevens smile every time. Like, he is... He is Brad Stevens' favorite player, I bet, because everything about his game is so efficient. And what I'm learning now about him as a player, too, is you see a lot of guys in the league turn the ball over a ton, and you kind of take that for what it is because they're the best players and they're on the ball all the time. Westbrook, Harden's that way a lot, too. But that's not there with Irving, is it? 
It doesn't seem to be as much, at least not like in my memory. I would have to look at the numbers to really compare them. But he's just got such a tight handle. I feel like he gets into these little cracks and he's in spaces where other people would just sort of throw the ball off their own leg or the leg of the opponent or even get fouled. And he just kind of snakes through them. Uh, And to your, your other point about finding great shots, I do think there's something to his game where he makes such ridiculous shots look so simple uh but they're really at times it feels like there is no bad shot for him like once he when he hits one if he gets an open one and then he hits another open shot and then all of a sudden he he just sort of enters this zone where you're like this is going to be fun to watch and he'll he'll just make these ridiculous looks off the glass or fadeaway threes and he's pulling up and taking kind of shots that most players would probably make me a little crazy to watch them take, and when he does it, it just feels like it's going to go in. And it doesn't always actually go in, but it always feels like there's a decent chance he's going to make it. And it's really, it's been a, a lot of fun to watch when and he's he gets made, into those zones. He's made so many strides, too. All three areas of his game coming together between the passing, between the defense, the scoring. I feel like the three-point shooting is just very on-key, efficient this year. Like, I didn't think this early in the year I'd be saying Irving's put it all together. And going back on that second game against Milwaukee when he was forcing it, when he was really just trying to take over on his own in the fourth quarter, I think he's just starting to realize that there's so much else here that can help him. Horford in particular, him and Horford just have a great dynamic. And uh, Horford even seems to be a little bit helped by how versatile Irving's showing to be off the ball we're starting to see him move a little bit more and I think the compelling thing about this team now and who is most important to them and it's Mm -hmm. a tough tough question I keep going back and forth on it because I say yeah like Al's just such a backbone on this team that I feel like the defensive strength they have would just completely shatter if he was out of the lineup which means a lot and you know he's he's a good shot maker in his own right good facilitator in his own right but then if you took Irving out of the picture, I feel like a lot of like overwhelming scoring down the stretch you have is gone. Yeah, it's really hard to just not take that like easy middle road and say they're both equally important to this. But do you ever take one way or another of who's more important to this team right now? I have a very tentative Orford take, I think. I know that being so tepid doesn't really make for great podcasting but yeah. it's, it's hard to it's hard to pick i just think horford has been so good on defense and that's been so much of boston's identity that i think you do have to give him a little extra credit there uh and just having him in the game shifts what the celtics can do structurally on both ends so significantly i mean their offense just really really hums when he's in the game and it's hard to it's hard to quantify with statistics but if you just watch consistently you, you notice that when horford's in the game that the team is better yeah um, and he's had a couple of games he had a weird like two or three game low where he was just not functioning his best um and i think that's the one argument where Kyrie may have something over him in terms of Kyrie's worst has been inefficient but pretty high volume scoring still um he's always contributing at least you know 15 to 20 points a game uh even at it on his worst night so uh, I think there's a little interesting conversation there but on the whole I think I'd go with Horford it's a tough conversation particularly because it's a game of making buckets and you know at the end of the day Irving's going to give you more shots going through the net on his own Mm -hmm. which which gives him an advantage inherently. But 
Looking at the way this team's winning this year, it's it's different. It's different from how they've won in the past few years. It's different from how most teams are winning now. Like they are built on a solid, solid interior, great passing. This team's passing has come so far in the last few weeks, and Horford is right at the center of it. I feel like he leads this charge of just getting to the basket and making a secondary pass. They do this again and again, where they get into the hole, deep into the hole, where you'd expect a guy to take a look, and then they just look to make that next pass from there. And again and again, you see them pass up a shot that looks good, and then they find a shot that looks great. And Horford is the king of that, in my opinion. It's infectious the way he continues to get inside. And I think this pisses people off where they say he's too tentative, that he's making those passes when he should be shooting. But how many looks do you see on this team where the defense is just on the complete other side of the court? Jason Tatum will catch it on the wing, and everybody else is on the whole other side of the court. Like They swing these defenses back and forth with this great passing. And I think that's Horford. I, Irving's a great passer. He does those things too, but Horford does it at the highest level on this team, I think. For sure. I have one last question for you before we go. I know you're talking about Tatum getting all those open looks, and that's definitely true. He's really been sort of feasting on getting great shots um, set up for him by his teammates in many occasions. Does it bother you at all that we haven't seen Tatum I can't believe I'm asking this question because this was my biggest fear coming into the year. But does it bother you at all that Tatum hasn't ever really tried to sort of assert himself and take over, I don't know, a quarter of a game or even just a couple shots um, using some of that footwork we talked about and that isolation in the, the mid post? Yeah, it's it's a tough discussion right now because I think if you saw him forcing it, we'd be saying, oh, my God, he's forcing it. And right. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're really taking for granted just how hard he's really trying to – get himself going within the flow of this offense. Again and again, we see him making that secondary pass and him kicking it out when he gets to the teeth of the defense. He's kind of been playing a little bit like Horford in that sense. But I do think you have a point there, and I think the people who are saying he needs to take over more have a case to make, and I think it goes back to Brad Stevens, and I know it's really uh, bold to rip Brad Stevens around here with just how great of a job he does, but we're looking for a problem on this team. There's a pretty easy one to see in efficiency. Their offense is not that efficient. They take a good amount of shots and do not hit a great amount of shots, and that's their biggest problem right now. They don't have a lot of guys who can consistently get buckets for them, and you look at the four who do... It's Kyrie, it's Horford, it's Tatum, definitely. And then sometimes it's Jalen Brown, but there's nights where he doesn't do it either. So that only leaves you with three sure things when it comes to scores. And when you're staggering lineups, there's going to be a lot of lineups where Tatum's the best scorer on the floor, and they have to get it to him. How many times, and you see this too, I'm sure, Greg, where there's lineups of Roger and Smart and Marcus Morris and I don't even know, Daniel Tice. And Tatum's clearly the guy on the floor, and he won't even get a touch on some possessions. And I feel like it's a team thing more than anything. They need to realize this guy isn't just a rookie. He's one of the most efficient players, and he needs to be up in that 11 to 15 shot range. It's just how it has to be. Yeah, that's been, I mean, I think that's been one of the most fascinating. Tatum just generally has been one of the most fascinating stories all year because I was expecting him to be basically the opposite of what he has been, which has been super efficient, taking really smart shots and like not really never doing anything that that would put him in a position to take a bad shot. And I was expecting him to be sort of in the mid-range, 
kind of inefficient uh, trying to post up and realizing he needed a little more strength. And he's, you know, the exact opposite end of that spectrum. So yeah. it's really interesting. It, yeah, it's funny. Him and Marcus Morris have almost flipped spots. And I, I wonder what those two guys do to each other, too, because they're both crossing the floor a lot. They're both playing that 3-4 position. They're both have similar approaches on offense. So sometimes I think maybe they get in each other's way a little bit, which is where defining the roles between them two in the first and second unit is going to be important going forward when Morris does play. But yeah, Tatum, for sure, he needs to get more shots. And he's not the kind of guy who you want to see trying to get it for himself, even though he was a great isolation player in college. I think it's on the team to feed him more. Great looks at the beginning of that game last night against Dallas. He started... um, 4-4 in one of the games this week as well from outside, just tearing the roof off of the garden. He is a knockdown shooter. We're seeing that this year, whether it's inside, whether it's outside. He's capable of doing this at a higher workload, I think, too. 5 of 11 last night. 11's not a ton of shots, but uh, it's, it's a pretty good amount, especially from what we've seen from him at this point. So that is a good spot to close this. That's Greg Casoli. I'm Bobby Manning. I think we hit on some of the good uh, points of this team so far, Greg, and we'll see what happens tonight against San Antonio when this is released. A big, big test for them. Maybe we'll even see Kawhi Leonard the first uh, time we'll see the Spurs and Celtics going back with Kawhi in there. He's been rumored to be coming back all week, so we'll see what happens. Tough weekend slate of games. Pistons coming up on the road again. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about next week. Thanks for joining me, Greg, and uh, be sure to get this on iTunes every week, Banners Broadcast. Drop in at some point during the week. We'll be um, we'll probably have a lot more of these over my winter break, and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace, everybody. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden. Mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden other than the fact that it's a thousand years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look.